chapter 3, if you were here um, during the Friday Night Fellowship, um, Brother Jackson preached through verses 11 and 9 through 19. So I figure I'll pick up on the heels of what he preached and preach verse 20 and 21. So Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as always the great privilege of gathering together and worshiping you, we pray that this morning that you'll pour out your spirit upon us and that we will leave here strengthened in our inner man. Lord, I pray that you'll give us wisdom and lighten our eyes that we may understand and comprehend what is this great love that you have for us. Lord, I pray that you'll open our eyes here Feed us from your word. Be with them who are next door teaching. Lord, I pray that if there be anyone in the building that's lost, Lord, do the work that only you can do and save the sinner. If there's anyone here this morning who's broken, Lord, I pray that you put them back together. Anyone who's fallen down spiritually, Lord, that you lift them up. May we gather here around your word and be encouraged this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Unto him that is able. Now unto him that is able. Jeremiah said as he pondered about our great God, as he thought about all that God has done, he said in the 32nd chapter in the 17th verse of Jeremiah, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power, and stretched out his arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. After the Lord heard Jeremiah offer up this proclamation in the 32nd chapter in the 27th verse, God returned to Jeremiah and said, Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? This is a testimony about our God that has been held throughout all the ages. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, for all those who have followed after God, there is this belief that our God is able. That there is nothing too hard for our God to do. And that's exactly what Paul is closing with chapter 3. He says, now unto him that is able. This word able comes from the Greek word dunamai. It means to be of power. He says, now unto him that has all of the power. Now unto him that is able. 
Notice one of the great things about this that's offered here. Now unto him that is able. The tense here really is one of the greatest blessings to us. Now unto him that is able. This is the present tense. This is not future tense. This is not to say that one day God will be able to help us. Some way, somehow, one day in the future, God will be able to help us. No, the intention of the present tense is that any time throughout history, we could get a hold of God's word and read in this moment, in this hour, no matter what the trouble is, no matter what the problem is, no matter what you're going through, you could pick up, pick up Ephesians chapter 3 and read the 20th verse and be assured again that we serve a God who is able to help us. Now unto him that is able. It's funny that in the last 2,000 years since the time of this writing, kingdoms have come and gone. Countries have fallen to the wayside. Kings have been removed. Dictators have fallen under. Yet the text still remains true that our king is still able. No one is nipping at his heels. No one is trying to remove him. No one has so much as stolen inkling of his power. We serve this God who is now able. I fear, though, that troubles in our lives cause us to lose the reality that our God is able. How many times have we faced troubles? And as we face troubles, we pray that God will deliver us from the troubles. And when we are not delivered from the troubles, we start to wonder, can God deliver us from this great trouble? All the worse, we have these people who stand in the TVs and proclaim that God's desire is that you would never have trouble, that you would never have sorrows, that you would never have woes. Yet we've seen even on Wednesday night, the Lord told us there will be troubles. We have to be careful this morning with Paul's urging and the reminding is that no matter what you're facing, we, we serve a God that is able. God's omnipotence, His power, His all-powerful, he is all-powerful, and His power is not based on whether or not He's checked the box for the needs you have in your life. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 6. We don't often turn to other passages, but I believe it will help us this morning. Daniel chapter 6. Society has made something different of our God that has never been found in Scriptures. Society has made something of our God that none of those who have followed after him have ever testified. Daniel chapter, I said six, Daniel chapter three here. Daniel chapter three. There in the 15th verse. He says, now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the heart, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music. 
ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Notice what verse 17 says. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But look at what verse 18 says. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Do you see the connection here? Do you see that those Hebrew boys never connected the fact whether or not God was going to deliver them to the fact whether or not God was able to deliver them. They knew that God was able. They said the God in whom we serve, he is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't deliver us, know that this is not going to stir up in our hearts some disbelief about our God. We're still willing to die before we worship your false idols. The world wants to stir up in our hearts that when God does not give you the answers to your prayers, that he is incapable of it. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. God is able to do whatever he seeks to desire. Now, this truth carried out even into the New Testament, did it not? I mean, the very fact that we're reading Ephesians, this doxology of praise where Paul starts out telling us about our blessings that we have in Christ. He goes on to tell us about this deep doctrine, the beliefs that we have. And then he goes on and tell us in 4, 5, and 6 about the battles that we're soon going to face and how to prepare for all of those things. But as Paul is just praising God, for all of these great blessings that we have and all of these rich doctrines, Paul is sitting in a prison cell writing this. God was able to deliver Paul from the prison cell. Even more, when we go to Philippians, this epistle written on joy, would it, would it have been more impactful for us to see Philippians being written from the Taj Mahal or is it more impactful to see that Philippians was written, uh, this epistle about joy was written from the prison cell? God was able to deliver Paul, but God also knows how to bring about a greater glory to his name in our lives. God was able to do all of those things, yet he allowed Paul to experience them so that we can understand in the moments of being down, in the moments when we're being treated unfairly, in the moments where it seems like the whole world is against us and no one is around us, it is possible that God is able to give us joy and never to deliver us 
from these situations. This not only carried on to the New Testament with Paul, but we even see this with the disciples, do we not? The disciples believed that God was able to deliver them. Peter believed that he was the Messiah. Yet Peter was crucified upside down for his name. Andrew was not crucified to a cross, but he was tied to an X and left there to hang for three days until church history says that he died. James was beheaded. Philip was hanged. Thaddeus was shot through with arrows. I don't even know what that is. Arrows. Thomas was speared. Yet they believed that God was able. But yet they also believed that through this situation that they was fixing to go through, they believed and understood that God was sovereign and operating on a different level to them, that even if they died, it would only bring greater glory to the name of our Lord. So what is he able to do? Paul says, now unto him that is able. Even Paul would be led out soon and beheaded. And he believed that God is able. My point is that we serve a God who is able, but we must never allow our condition to obscure the fact that he is able. And more importantly, our praise to God should never be obscured by the condition that we are in or whether or not God has delivered us from it. Our praise to him should always be connected to his omnipotence. So what is our God able to do? Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Paul masterfully builds this. Matter of fact, when you really just take the, death, uh, the, the, the text and build upon it, you say, what is God able to do? Well, God is able to do what we ask. Well, this is great. This is great. Well, even more, Paul builds. He said, well, God is actually able to do what we think. Well, this is great news too, but it's not enough. He said, God is able to do all that we think or ask. Then he goes on and says, well, that's not enough. He is able to do above all that we think or ask. Well, that's not enough. God is able to do abundantly above all that we think or ask. It's still not enough. He says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we even think or ask. Paul is trying to Find the words to explain just how able God is. But he is struggling to put it into words. Matter of fact, when you read this in the Greek, that phrase abundantly above all that you ask or think is some 20 letter word that I can't even begin to pronounce. 
But this word, its definition, it is the highest heightened comparative offered up in the Greek language. It means that, it means to be uh, considerably in excess to what is expected. It means to imply in an inexhaustible amount. My favorite definition means that it is beyond measure. I wonder at times when the translators was translating this from the Greek language to the English language, how, how crazy their minds was going when they came upon this word. How do we explain this? How do we give this highest comparative known to man? It's, it's the same way we just said. Well, we should say that it's all that he asked or think. I know it's above that. It's more than that. It's exceedingly. Oh, it's more than that. It's exceedingly. It's abundantly above all that we ask or think. This is this outpouring about how powerful our God is. His power is inexhaustible. It is beyond all measure. Listen, only God, only God can provide the desires of our hearts. It's true. No man, no matter how rich, no matter how much property he owned or how much money he had in the treasury could have helped the disciples that day at the sea <laughs> when they began to cry. Who was going to save them? What money would be offered to the sea? What payment could be given to calm the storm? Their cries could have awoken everyone in the entire world, but it would have been no help to them at all. Yet their cries awoke the master. And when they seen that the Lord was able, they was amazed. Matter of fact, the only thing they could offer up, they said, what manner of man is this that even the waves and the sea obey him? They were left astounded. Not only is he able to calm the storms in our life, but he, he is the only one that is able to save. He is the only one able to bring peace to troubles. He is the only one able to bring victory over sin. He is the only one that is able to bring blessings on our journey while we serve him. He is the only one that is able to do above all that we ask or think. Notice also he has not restricted us to but one request. I love what he says there in Jeremiah. He says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now, this is the reality. God is able, but not only is God able, God is pleased when our thoughts and our prayers towards him correspond with his omnipotence. He is pleased by this. Because it is to say that we truly have an understanding about who our God is. He delights when our prayers are anchored in his omnipotence. There is no such thing as a request that is too great for God. 
I love the story that is told by Alexander the Great as he had a man who did a great service for him. After the man did this great service for him, Alexander the Great told him, whatever you want from my kingdom, ask of me and it shall be granted unto you. The man went home for a few days and began to wonder what he was going to ask of Alexander the Great. After a few days, he returned back to the imperial treasury and made a huge demand on the imperial treasury. When the imperial treasurer heard this demand, he refused to pay it to him. The man, upset by the situation, went to Alexander the Great and informed him that he had been refused of his one request that would be given to him. The man, in return, heard from Alexander the Great and was told that this man knows the greatness of the one he has requested this great wealth from. We are greatly honored to grant his request. Do we recognize when we come before God who we are requesting from? Do we realize who we're praying to? Do we realize that we are praying to a God that is able? able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. We are beckoning the throne room of God, but notice how he closes verse 20, according to the power that is working in us, according to the power that worketh in us. This is a familiar word to us. This is the word dunamis. We often make reference to this because... This is the word in which we get the word dynamite from. But when God works inside of us, the effects of his power working in us is the same as the restructuring as the heart of society. The reason they took the word dunamis and made it dynamite is because it was unexplainable power that they had never seen before. The power that worketh in us, he says, according to the power, this exceeding abundant power that he's speaking of is the same power that worketh in us. This is the same power that took Jesus' brother James, who was a denier, who wasn't a believer, and before you knew it, the power began to work inside of him, and he became a pillar in the church. This is the same power that took Peter, a, a cursing sailor, and God would work inside of Peter's life and make him this powerful preacher at the day of Pentecost. Even more, I'm certain as Paul put the pen to the pad, as the Spirit moved upon him, he could testify of this dunamis, of this power that worked in him when God would take this murderer and make him this apostle to the Gentiles. According to this power that worketh in us. He says here in these two verses, not only have we seen God's omnipotent power, he's able. 
Not only have we seen His omnipotent power, that God is the one that possesses this power, but he, we've seen the potential of this power. He is able to do what exceedingly above all that we ask or think. But why do we have this power? Why does this power work in us? Why has God so saw fit to save us and to continue to work in us? Philippians says, it is, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure us. His good pleasure. So why does he enable us? God enables us so that it through us, Him through us, Christ through us, in us, will bring glory to Him. God's main purpose, His supreme purpose is to bring glory unto Himself. Notice verse 21. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, Amen. Unto him be glory in the church. Well, that sentence will preach all by himself, won't it? Unto him be glory in the church. Let me break that down. In the church is where the believers should be praising God. Now, listen, God, is, he deserves all our praise. He deserves our praise when we're outside of the church house. I, I get confused about these people who say, I don't do the church thing. I do church at home. I have a great time of studying at home. I worship at home. That's good. But you shouldn't just worship there. You should worship everywhere you go. But notice of all the things that Paul could have listed here, the Spirit moved upon Paul to say, this power that you've experienced working in you enabled you so you would take yourself to church and glorify God. Unto him be glory in the church. The church, ecclesia, called out, visible, local, assembly, gathered together to give glory to God. God's glory is the master key, really, that unlocks all the doors. It is all about God's glory. It is all about magnifying His name. Why? Why do we seek to do this? Why here? Why did we gather here? Well, this is really what Paul has been saying in the last couple chapters that the church is God's masterpiece. This was designed in heaven where we could gather together both Jew and Gentile in Christ and glorify and worship Him. But notice more He says there. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in the 6th verse says this. Why by Christ Jesus? It says, For God, 
who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is by Jesus Christ throughout all ages. You know, we look around the room and there are kids, adults, not going to say seniors, don't be offended, but we are people diversified of all different ages. My desire is, is that if God so keeps me here, that when he takes me home, that inside of these walls, that my name isn't glorified, but that the name of Jesus Christ, the name of our God is magnified and continued to be magnified until the rapture comes and he takes us home. That we would still continue to magnify throughout all of the ages that we serve a God who is able. I mean, really. Now listen, I understand there's been hard times. I understand that there's been struggles that even our church as a whole has experienced. But we have a wall full of blessings. We have pews full of blessings. We have air conditioning in the building. I don't know if you count that a blessing. I do. We have so many blessings that we could sit back. The fact that we're in this building the blue house is gone. All of the things that happened here, we see that when God's people will rely on him, we will be a testament throughout all the ages how God has been able to provide and supply for his church. This is what we just heard about last Sunday night. God is able to take care of his people. God is able to do more than we can all that we can all expect or ask. But recognize this. This isn't so that you could go on some solo mission. This is so that we could come back to church and magnify and praise him about all that he has empowered us to do. We could not do this alone at all. I hope that when we leave out of here this morning, that we testify, believing in our hearts, that we serve a God who is able. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what you experience, God's able. No matter if God doesn't deliver you, he was able to deliver you. No matter if he does deliver you and he doesn't deliver someone else, it doesn't mean that, that God has sought the, you know, what well, he found favor in his sight and this one didn't find favor. No, what it was about is that God saw that in this situation, he would get more glory this way and more glory that way. All of our lives is about bringing glory to him. Therefore, when we hear the bad news, Therefore, when we face the tragedies of this life, we must trust that our sovereign God is working in our lives. And what I'm facing is going to be divinely used by the hand of God to magnify his name in the world and in the church.
Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be in your word, to preach your word, Lord, and I thank you for all that you fed us this morning from your word. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen us in, in our belief that you're able to deliver us. You're able to provide in any manner we see, you see fit. Lord, I pray that this world will never obscure that view of you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.